Hello, and welcome to Employment Practices Solutions Real Solutions Podcast. Can I even tell a coworker they look nice anymore? You're pressing questions about sexual harassment. We've been in a cultural moment as it relates to sexual harassment for months now. Allegations against Harvey Weinstein, Ryan Lizza, Mario Vitale, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, Al Franken, the list goes on and on and on. The media headlines are affecting workplaces in a number of ways. Employees wonder about their own behavior and employers are examining their efforts around sexual harassment prevention to make certain they stay out of the headlines. I'm your host, Lisa Dishman, and I'm joined again today by my colleague, Stephanie Davis, who's been on the front line addressing these issues within workplaces for more than 20 years, both as an employment attorney prior to joining EPS in 2000, and certainly since her arrival at EPS, Stephanie has delivered thousands of training sessions and investigations of hundreds of harassment complaints. Stephanie currently leads the EPS organization as its president. She received her BS in political science from Barnard College at Columbia University and her Juris Doctorate from the University of Oregon School of Law. Stephanie practiced law in New York and New Jersey prior to joining EPS. Stephanie, I'm so glad you're joining me today. Great to be here, Lisa. This cultural moment has created a lot of media buzz and concerns and has made many employees and employers alike think about sexual harassment differently and certainly more deeply. It's uncovered a lot of questions about behavior in the workplace, so we've gathered some of those questions and hope to provide answers today in our conversation. We solicited input from social media and internally from our consultants who hear these types of questions almost continually in our training classes. Seth, before we dive in, let's set the table a bit. Um, let's get the basic question out of the way. What is sexual harassment? So there are two different kinds of sexual harassment. There, these are terms, these are legal terms of art, and we've all probably heard them a million times, but don't, most people don't actually know what they mean. Uh, one type of harassment is quid pro quo, and the other is hostile work environment harassment. Quid pro quo is a very specific um, legal definition, and it involves this for that, a favor for a favor. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours, essentially. So an exchange of something sexual or romantic in return for a tangible job benefit. So by definition, this type of harassment involves somebody with power, and it also involves something sexual. The other type, and so that's a very limited type of harassment. The other type of harassment, which is um, the much more common type of harassment, is hostile work environment harassment. And this is unwelcome, offensive, pervasive, or serious behavior that is based on sex. And all of those components need to be present for it to be a hostile work environment under, under the eyes of the law. So let's jump to question one, and you may have already answered it, but let's just clarify it for our listeners. Does sexual harassment have to involve sex? No, not exactly. So, in fact, sexual harassment, um, sexual misconduct, subjecting somebody to inappropriate behavior against their will, all of this is really about power. It's using 
or really abusing power in a way that might be sexual or result in sexual acts, but oftentimes it's abusing authority to make somebody feel diminished based on their sex or sexuality. So sexual harassment could be wielding your power to get sex by, for, um, for example, conditioning somebody's job on their participation in a relationship or sexual activities or by coercing or pressuring someone into these into these types of things. On the other hand, it also could be subjecting someone to sexual comments or jokes or innuendo or insults based on sex or sexuality. So there's no strict definition of sexual harassment involving actual sex. The idea is that it's making someone feel uncomfortable by subjecting them to behavior that they don't want to be subjected to because of their sex. Well, question two is another clarifier to that answer. Um, someone asked, is it possible to be harassed by someone who is not my supervisor? In your earlier answer, you mentioned power and authority. So is it always, does it always pertain to um, someone higher up in the organization and someone beneath that person in the organization? Can you clarify that? Sure. Um, it, it is absolutely possible to be harassed by anyone, anyone in an organization. If you're subjected to behavior that comes under the definition of harassment and you're at work, that could be behavior that the organization uh, is responsible for. So sexual harassment by a supervisor is the most serious kind of sexual harassment in the eyes of the law simply because of the power dynamic. This is someone who has power over you and your job, your livelihood. Uh, and it's also viewed most seriously due to the fact that a supervisor is a representative of the employer and should know better. But peer harassment absolutely happens and is also illegal. Got it. Let's go to question three. And this one is one that we hear very often, especially recently. Um, a reader from our social media indicated this whole sexual harassment thing is ridiculous. I can't even compliment a coworker these days without them saying something about harassment. Steph, what are your thoughts on this comment? We hear it a lot, and frankly, it's probably not a surprising reaction given the climate that we're in. Yeah, I, I've been facilitating harassment training for about 20 years, and I've been hearing comments like this since day one. So it's not an original response. In fact, I think it's actually a very common misperception and, frankly, I think an overreaction to think along these lines, essentially that, you know, people are too sensitive, we can't interact at all without someone taking offense and complaining, everyone needs to lighten up. And I think it could be tempting for us to respond to these types of comments dismissively or by saying something like, oh, you know, come on, it's just not that complicated. It's common sense what kinds of comments and compliments are okay and what aren't. But that's not really helpful for those who are genuinely confused for whatever reason. You know, maybe they're new to the workforce or haven't spent that much time in big companies or they have spent much of their work life in context where the lines have long been blurred. Whatever the case, uh, some helpful guidelines that I would offer uh, are the following. Compliments that are even remotely sexual are off bounds. Do not make them. 
frequent compliments about how someone looks, don't do it. You're at work and you really should be focusing on work for the most part. Compliments that seem to make anyone uncomfortable, don't make them. The lesson really is when in doubt, it's best to err on the side of caution. So you're on the fence about whether to pay someone accomplish, uh, a compliment. You're not sure if it's going to offend. Don't do it. A red flag is also raised, I think, if you're going to make a compliment to a female in a way that you just would not compliment a male. That should give you pause to consider if it might be sexualized somehow. And it's also important to consider how you communicate. So if you're going to pay someone a compliment, say it with a normal, neutral tone of voice while looking them in the eye. Just keep the sex out of it. And a really important rule to live by as well is that if you say something that you perceive as nice with the best of intentions, like a compliment, and it's not received well, you need to own it. Stop the behavior, leave it be. The problem I see over and over in my travels is a failure to recognize and really importantly accept when our behavior is bothering others. It's almost like we double down and think, you know what, that person should have enjoyed my, my comment or my compliment. They are wrong to, to take offense. And I'm just going to be self-righteous and continue to behave as I wish. The key, I think, is to respect that everyone is entitled to their own perspective, which might well be very different from ours. Respect is often always the key. And you're right. It's just not that hard, but that's great advice. Let's move on to question four, and let's deepen the discussion a bit with this question that was overheard by one of our consultants on a recent flight. And the question is, how does an employer deal with male managers who are skittish about working, traveling, dining, whatever it is, in a one-on-one -on -one situation with a female applicant or an employee, um, and they the uh, the manager may be inclined to want to follow the so-called tense rule in interactions with female employees, which is basically not being alone with a member of the opposite sex. In the conversation that was overheard, there was an older male describing to a younger male colleague how he received a resume from a young female who seemed very qualified, but that the whole rash of sexual harassment complaints had given him pause about working with young females for fear of being accused. This seems like a reaction that should cause us a lot of concern. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so this is a question that, that seems to keep rearing its ugly head. And it's it's not at all surprising when the leaders of our government advocate excluding women from prime work opportunities. So I get I get where this person is coming from in their confusion. However, it is problematic problematic as as you've uh implied, and I think it's helpful to break down the logic here. Harassment in the workplace is a problem. I think we can all agree. Harassment is a form of discrimination. So if we adhere to anything like the Pence rule, we're responding to discrimination with more discrimination. It cannot possibly be that the answer to discrimination is to discriminate more. If you are avoiding women in any way in the workplace, 
simply because they're women, you're punishing them for being women. The illegality and frankly, sheer unfairness of that could not be any more clear. So first, it's illegal. But second, it's also bad for business. If you're not considering hiring a highly qualified candidate or you're otherwise limiting work opportunities and access um, to someone simply due to gender, you're making a bad business decision. Uh, you know, excluding women obviously means you're cutting out half the population from access, full access to you, uh, if not the job itself, for no legitimate reason, and you're losing out, therefore, on some great talent and ideas. So that hurts everyone, men and women alike. And we know organizations that allow disrespectful and illegal behavior to just run rampant are going to see an impact on their bottom line, which they've seen over and over in the courts and headlines lately. So the answer is definitely not to make matters worse by piling on more discrimination and, and avoiding qualified people um, in your hiring decisions. So what should this man do? What should other men do who are concerned about sexual harassment allegations, um, who don't want to be accused of sexual harassment and want to do the right thing? No one wants to be accused of harassment, I would venture. I think the answer is that they need to be really scrupulous about not crossing boundaries. Everyone may, needs to make sure that they don't even come close to behaving inappropriately with any colleagues, be they male or female. We're not seeing a rash of complaints against men who are observing boundaries. We're not seeing complaints about people who are really carefully trying to navigate things and not make others comfortable and maybe just made a misstep or two. We're not seeing complaints against people who are actively trying to ensure that they are respectful to women. Now, what we're seeing is a lot of complaints against men who appear to be completely oblivious to and unconcerned about boundaries. So it's really not as complicated as it's being made out to be. It's as simple as refrain from going near boundaries and you're extremely unlikely to cross them. You may not know where someone's exact boundaries are and that's why we avoid all sexual behavior. And just as important, uh, as I mentioned, is, is owning our own behavior, is being personally responsible. So when we do accidentally cross a boundary, which, you know, we're human beings, we all make mistakes, graciously accept it, graciously say you're sorry, stop the behavior. Um, you know, we all make mistakes, but it's how we address them that matters. That's great advice for every male and female manager out there listening. Let's move on to question five, Steph. I currently manage 10 people and am concerned about what to do if someone on my team comes to me with a complaint. What steps should I take? Should I reassure them that it's not harassment? Should I get the two parties together to work it out? Help a new manager out here, Steph. What should he do? <laughs> so the first thing this manager should do is familiarize themselves with the company policy. That should be part of their sort of new manager orientation. Um, it's, 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 it would not be at all surprising if they were not familiar with their policy because that seems to be common, but they want to know what the policy says. And hopefully there's a clear process as to who should be looking into complaints that might relate to harassment. This manager didn't mention what kind of complaint it is. If somebody comes to you with a personality conflict or a work issue 
or just a concern that does not relate to discrimination or harassment, that's probably something they'll need to resolve themselves. But if the complaint relates to potential discrimination or harassment, that's when they need to contact uh, HR and cooperate with likely an internal investigation. As a manager, this person should enlighten the, the person who, who complained to them on their team about the process and getting an, uh, HR involved as necessary. Again, if there's some um, requirement that HR be involved under policy, like when there's discrimination, potential discrimination or harassment. Uh, but you don't want to weigh in on whether their complaint rises to the level of harassment or any, any other behavior that might violate policy or the law, as that's not the manager's call. And as far as resolution, you'll again need to follow HR's lead in terms of that. Getting the two people together might be productive in certain situations, but when someone has complained of harassment or discrimination, getting them together, forcing them to, you know, sort of make things work with the other person is likely going to be, at least initially, counterproductive uh, and therefore wouldn't be recommended. So again, it's HR's call on how to, how to best resolve things. Training for managers and especially first-time managers is so important um, for that inevitable situation that, that managers face. Let's flip it on its head. Jeff, for question six, uh, someone wrote, I feel I've been harassed, but I also feel certain that if I say anything, I'll be fired. What am I supposed to do? I'm sure this is a fear that um, we hear a lot and certainly have read a lot in recent days. What's your best advice? Well, yeah, I mean, re retaliation is a legitimate concern. It happens, and many statistics show it's on the rise and has been for a long time. So no one can guarantee that it won't happen. However, it is a violation of the law and any good policy. So if, if you're fired as a result of a complaint, you absolutely have the right to file a complaint with a state or local agency or the federal EEOC. And these are all government agencies charged with enforcing the anti-discrimination and harassment laws. Now let's take it from yet another perspective. Question seven, I'm new to my HR role and the training that we currently do is 30 minutes of online basic anti-harassment training. I'm concerned that employees just grow through it mindlessly and aren't really getting much out of it. Our training budget is tight. What else can be done? I know you've got an answer for this one, Steph. Well, you're, you're, this person is probably right that their employees aren't, aren't getting much out of that training and, are, and they're just checking a box. The best way to train employees on creating a respectful workplace is definitely live, which allows for interaction with somebody who is prepared to answer hard questions and also allows for interaction among the group of attendees. And the, the cost of that will depend on the size of your organization. A, an alternative is to have a live web, webcast, which is not as interactive as live training, but it does offer the benefit of having a live trainer and the ability to ask questions. So it's vastly superior to typical online training and they'll get a lot more out of it. And it also is more cost effective than actually bringing the training to the organization. Terrific. Now this question seems pretty straightforward. I'm a lesbian, and a colleague told me that I can't be sexually harassed by my boss, who's male. Is that true? 
No, that's not true. If you're being subjected to behavior at work that is unwelcome, offensive, pervasive or serious, and it's based on sex, that is sexual harassment no matter who's involved. So men can harass men, women can harass women, women can harass men. There's no specific formula, and that's not true. Okay, let's move to the next question. Question nine. I have been told that everyone will know if you complain about harassment, and I'll be branded a troublemaker. Why take the risk and make a complaint? This is a really salient, hard question because there is some risk and a lot of vulnerability and courage that's required to make a complaint, right? Steph, what can you, how can you reassure this writer that they won't be branded a troublemaker, if at all? I don't think anyone can provide that reassurance. The reality is that branding is a risk and there's no guarantee that it won't happen. But the behavior can only be addressed, and therefore um, things can get better potentially for this person and maybe even others if the company knows about it. The company can't do anything about behavior that they aren't put on notice of. So if no one speaks up, the company may have no idea and therefore won't act on it. And in addition, the company likely has a confidentiality policy, which basically would say, you know, personal business should be kept personal. And if there is a complaint, um, others should not be speaking about it. And if they are, um, they're violating the, the, the policy and could be disciplined accordingly, which might even include termination. So there is that protection and people still violate confidentiality policies all the time. So again, it's not a guarantee, but it is, you know, some, some level of protection. And while there is a risk, you know, it's it's a very personal equation, and hopefully the upside of improving things for potentially everybody uh, outweighs it. Okay, the next question, and I think you're going to like this one, Steph. I'm pretty sure that my female coworker is being harassed. Another coworker is talking about her body under his breath, but clearly with an earshot every time she walks into a meeting. I'm a guy. It feels like I should do something, but I'm not certain what. It all makes me uncomfortable, especially now. Any suggestions? Yeah. Uh, the behavior you're describing is totally inappropriate and unprofessional. And even if it does not make this particular female coworker uncomfortable, though it probably does, it's likely making others uncomfortable. And you yourself feel like you should do something. So you should report it to HR. You know, if you're friendly with the person making these comments, you could also say something to him or her uh, about stopping the behavior. I wasn't sure of the gender of the, the speaker, but I would also bring it to HR's attention since it seems to be an ongoing issue. Okay, here's a bonus question, and it's one that we get a lot. It's sort of an evergreen question. The listener says, my boss has called me honey and dear and sweetie since I started work here 10 years ago. It's always bugged me a little. I've always felt slightly belittled and really want it to stop, but it doesn't seem like harassment. Should I file a complaint? What's your advice? My advice is that it's never too late to say you feel uncomfortable. Uh, 10 years is a long time to go through feeling belittled. So you have a couple of options. One is to say something to your boss. That may not be something, understandably, that you want to deal with, 
but it's always an option to say, I really don't like being called anything other than my name. Thanks. And you can see if that works. But if you don't want to do that, which you don't have any obligation to do, you never have an obligation to confront the person who's being offensive to you, uh, you can, of course, make a complaint and have it addressed by human resources. What might HR do? They likely will go to your boss and say, please stop using those terms of endearment with anyone, period. And hopefully that will work. I just want to add that that Sometimes there's this worry that, that is also frequently brought up in classes that, you know, when we raise consciousness, we risk flooding HR or management with complaints. So I'd like to address that. The idea here is, you know, we're, we're trying to promote respectful workplaces. And in a respectful workplace, I would feel safe and comfortable going to my boss and saying, I know you've been calling me sweetie and honey for 10 years. I'd like you to stop it and have confidence that my boss would say, okay, no problem, let's get back to work. Um, the idea is to increase communication and increase mutual respect to create a dialogue and opportunities for people to express themselves about stuff that's bothering them and making them feel disrespected. So we can address those things and move on, turning our attention to what we wanna do and should be focusing on, like work. <laughs> the alternative, is not knowing, not having the lines of communication open, which we know from experience creates an atmosphere where discomfort and other issues fester and eventually just become bigger problems. Well, speaking of bigger questions, I've got one last question, and this is a kind of a biggie. So how do you change an organization that has a culture that's longstanding that some may feel just in general is sexist. This does dovetail back to the smallest issue of honey, dear, and sweetie, but that's been tolerated probably not just by her, and it may be a symptom of a larger situation, or it just may be one person's lack of being woke in terms of modern day mores. But if there's a bigger culture at work, Steph, what's your advice there? And I know that's a big question, but to be very succinct. Well, I mean, that is a big question and a crucial question, but it's also the easiest one. Empower women. H hire and promote women to positions of power in the organization. Give them voices and decision-making power. The only way I see any meaningful, sustained change happening is to promote respect at all levels, and this starts at the top. That's a great place to leave it. And wow, have we covered a lot of ground. Thank you, Stephanie, for fielding all of these questions. It's such important information, especially at this moment. Thank you also to our listeners for joining us today. You can learn more about EPS and our services at our website, epspros.com. That's epspros.com. You can listen to this podcast and share it with others on both SoundCloud and in iTunes. You can find us everywhere on social media as well. We'd love to hear your feedback, your questions, and better understand the employment practices challenges you are facing in your workplace. We hope you'll join us on upcoming podcasts. Thanks again. <laughs>